are listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Ladysmith and District Historical Society President Quinton Goodbody, as well as the museum's curator, Leslie Moore. Leslie and, and Quentin, thank you for both of you to sit down and, and speak with me about the history of the Ladysmith Museum. Leslie, let's start with yourself. How did you get involved with museums and specifically with the Ladysmith Museum? Getting involved with museums was a chance conversation. I was with my boyfriend who was doing his Master's in Anthropology at UBC. His thesis advisor was Harry Hawthorne. And Harry and his wife Audrey were in the midst of serious uh, planning they have been granted a location and an architect and funding to plan MOA, the Museum of Anthropology is now. And Dr. Hawthorne said to me, Leslie, so what are you doing? What are you interested in? I said, I'm not happy with my choice. I've done zoology and ecology for two years. I want something else. And he said, there's some great jobs coming up at the Provincial Museum. So my first job was spending the entire summer buried in the bowels of the Provincial Archives putting together, this is all pre-computers, card files to give references for the more detailed, accurate cataloging of the Provincial Ethnology Collection. And I was hooked. Of course then it was very colonial, the information that they had come from collectors, it had come from field work that the museum staff had, and so it was a particular point of time and I went on to work summer program in archaeology, training high school kids in what archaeology was all about. It was at the Marpole Midden, which of course has since seen controversy. So I was truly blessed with summer projects all within museums. And one thing led to another. I was up in Prince Rupert Museum of Northern BC doing the ethno-history of the Skeena River canneries. So I was blessed from the start with being involved in the curatorial way in the research and documentation of objects. And so my grounding then was very reflective of the 1970s, object plus information equals artifact. And of course that has very much changed now because the information, well, has no end, courtesy of the internet and what we consider to be information and thank goodness indigenous cultures are now saying, hey, you need our traditional knowledge keepers. So information then becomes the traditional knowledge. So it just has continued to evolve. I've been very lucky to work in university collections, a couple of national historic sites, a very large, very well-funded urban collection in Kelowna. And what has driven me is we're surrounded by things. They have stories, they hold memories. We use them, we appreciate them, and it's all meaningful. And it is something that I personally believe that knowledge, those experiences, need to be kept in some way and passed on. We did a very quick survey of people's reaction when they came into the museum, the kinds of exhibits they wanted to see. And of course, predictably, we had the full range based on 
the age or the background of the visitors. And there was one woman that came in, I'll never forget it. She was in here for a couple of hours, which given our size seemed a bit long. And I said, oh, do you mind spending a few minutes just filling out this survey? And she did, and she wrote quite a long bit on the back, and, and she left, and I read it at the end of the day. And she said, what I like about this museum is it is an artifact in itself. So that, that has resonated. And yet, and you saw it when you came in, we have a feature exhibit, which is an example of moving forward of something needing presentation to the public, which is prime predators of Vancouver Island. We live where they are living. There's quite a lack of awareness and knowledge. And we had a collection that related to building awareness. And so it was quite a different direction. It was the natural heritage. And it worked. And from my perspective, I wasn't involved all that much, but the objects we had went back a hundred years. Museums have always changed. The role of curators have certainly changed. And more than ever now, the community needs to be curators in a way. Mm -hmm. And Quentin, what about yourself? How did you get involved with museums and the Ladies' Museum? <laughs> well, I do not have a museum background. I'm a history buff. I'm a geologist by trade, although I'm retired now, but I've always been interested in history as well. And when I moved to Ladysmith in 2015, happened down to the archives, where the, the Historical Society here runs the archives and the museum through a management and operating agreement with the town of Ladysmith. And so I went into the archives and had a chat with the then president, Ed <laughs> Nicholson, and he said, oh, you'd be a good person to get involved with the society, and little did I know. I ended up, this is my second year as president of the society, and I'm thrilled to be involved with it. It's an evolving, dynamic society, and it's got an, a very interesting community with very cultures and, and histories associated with it, which are fascinating. And I'm along for the ride, basically. I, I value very much uh, people with museum backgrounds such as Leslie. I've certainly got an eye to uh, interpretation of what my ideas are with regards to the museum's place within the community and the role it can uh, play. Mm -hmm. And walk us through the, the history of the Ladysmith Museum and Archives. How, how, did, how did these collections come about? The timeline for things historical in Ladysmith was a New Horizons grant. I guess it would have been in the early 80s. Viola Cull, her parents were very early settlers here. And she loved her community. And growing up here, appreciating all the people that made the community. And she realized that her parents had moved on. She was aging. So she got the grant, and it was to collect people's stories of their families in particular and she put together two volumes. So that was really the beginning of the archives collection. So we have cassette tapes of somewhat scratchy interviews and the photographs that were collected. And it was a recognition of those people living here. So people were starting to collect and there wasn't actually a real location. We've heard of, I've heard of three private homes, the back of the antique attic had large objects. They were 
where the Take 5 offices for a while and people were donating things that they felt were important to them and as they lived in Ladysmith therefore it was believed they were important for Ladysmith. Several things happened close together there. There was a fire, they had to move things out. Ray Knight passed away. His family had started one of the very early businesses in Ladysmith that grew and grew. It basically became a whole block, like a wonderful almost mini department store. And in his windows, he had old stuff. He loved collecting. And so he would show off in his windows. And he also was an avid photographer. And so when he passed, there was a photo collection. And I'm not sure still which way it went first. The end result is there was assistance in buying that collection. And then they needed to have a proper home for it. So the society formed in 1999 and predominantly to look after that collection and yes there were random artifacts each with their own stories and they got a grant from the Nanaimo Foundation I believe mm -hmm. no. and the town was involved and they did a beautiful design of purpose-built archives towards the end 2008-2009 group of individuals who weren't originating families but had moved to Ladysmith and been here 12-15 years. Initially the people that had worked so hard for the archives didn't want the museum. They saw it as taking away from the archives. Mm. Totally normal. But we worked fabulously well together more and more and, and their comfort level is, oh the museum couldn't do an exhibit if they didn't have the archives. And so it's taken time and with any organizations the founding members protect what they had and so hence our original mandate was basically just to collect things from Ladysmith's past and to be open to the public. So very simple mandate. Now admittedly it started with James Dunsmuir and mining. <laughs> The town, and, anyway. Yeah. yeah, and the E&N Railway, but did nothing previous. So very colonial. Mm. Well, that's the way it was. The initial people that came here, pretty similar who came to other areas of BC with subtle differences, which the coal mines here on the island attracted miners from Scotland, England, Cape Breton, Europe, and previous to that, those who built the railway. So. The collecting was literally quite general, but things to illustrate how Ladysmith came to be. Mm. So we still don't have a current looking to the future collections policy. Q and I have talked about it, other people have talked about it, and the recognition that yes, it's time, because we don't want to keep collecting the common things that almost any museum on the island would have. What is it that tells Ladysmith's story and where we're going? What are some stories about Ladysmith that you want to see reflected in, in the collection and some of the exhibitions you're building? Well, right off the bat, the Stuminas, First Nation, are not here. And we are developing a really good relationship with them. 
and they are still in the treaty process and also have their own, for want of a better word, departments that have been doing extensive research. They've done archaeological work. They have a wonderful group of elders. They have a language program at the schools. And yes, it will come, but it's missing here, very much so. Missing in part, certainly from the collections, uh, on a deliberate perspective. One, it's not our story to tell, and two, they are actively developing that and what they want to do with that. And we get we get asked a lot of questions, particularly from travelers from elsewhere in the world who will come in and say, "Where the lo- where's the local indigenous uh, tribe, for want of a better word?" is what they often ask. But that, for one, in terms of subject matter. If you look at key events in town here, 1912-13, the mining strikes on the island affected town life a great deal. There was a riot. Troops were called in. People were hauled off to jail. There are still residual divisions, those whose families were scabs and those whose families were minors. When I came, I thought this would be a wonderful story to tell, and I was greeted with horror. <laughs> Leslie, you can't do that yet. However, it does have its relevance. 1930s, 40s, 50s, Ladysmith shrunk when the mines closed to less than half of what it had been. It had gone from over 5,000 people down to 1,400. Mm. Uh, by 1933, many people had left. Uh, there's a whole string of them. The, the natural topography, I've learned so much from, from you, We're talking about the coal basin and how it came to be. There's no, that's not articulated it's, it's anywhere. It's for someone to come in here and be able to put Ladysmith in its place, understanding <coughs> its natural heritage, natural wealth and, and positioning. And we, we aim to change the focus of the museum from originally being focused on the past to presenting the past so we can understand the present yes. and charting a way toward the future. Mm. And uh, we are developing what we're calling the learning center uh, within the museum because we strongly believe that the museum has an important role to play as a place of learning, whether it be casual or more in-depth understanding of certain topics. And so we have various activities associated with the museum, such as our Historically Speaking talks, which we've been doing on Zoom, roughly one every month Month. or two months or so, on various topics uh, which are presented from a historical perspective, but they're sometimes based on items of current relevance to the community. Hmm. Climate change, for instance, we did one on that. the last ones we did, I just did one on earthquakes the other day, which presented the history of mega-earthquakes uh, on Vancouver Island and related it to the earthquake risk and what people should expect here in Ladysmith and how they should prepare themselves for the eventuality of an earthquake. Huh. And another possible is water. This past summer raised all kinds of awareness and concerns. In Ladysmith, at the very beginning of the community, there was a very long wooden plume bringing water down from Stocking Lake. Stocking Lake all the way down to the harbor where they had the coal bunkers and the coals were washed before they were sorted. And that was a huge amount of water. 400,000 tons of coal were going out 
every year from that port. So identifying the water sources, and you can bring various things in it. What's happened with the salmon streams, there was the absence of the water treatment plant. Fast forward to how people are wasting water. It's a very broad ranging topic, but one in which we can pull specifics from the past, certainly the present, and what is now being forecast, some of the modeling for the future. What, looking at the, the community, you're talking about this, um, imagining the museum as a learning center, as, as a kind of activating mm. the space and using the collections to talk about current issues and, and things that concern the community. You were mentioning that earthquakes and, and also uh, ecology and, and climate change. What are some other issues that you see taking place locally that, that you feel are quite significant in terms of the development and change of the community of Ladysmith? The community is just going through its uh, official community yes. plan exercise at the moment with regards to charting a way toward the future for the next 30 years and we're involved with committees associated with that and the town is referring to us for historical perspectives on certain aspects of the community plan for instance but also with regards to a review of the heritage strategic plan for the town and district. In the 80s that was the time of the community pride initiatives here in, in BC there was Main Street Canada program uh, Ladysmith and Nelson were recognized nationally for their main streets. So council at the time identified the downtown heritage area. And that basically was the core of the past plan. But me coming here, I'm going, wait a minute, there's a row, those are company houses, or those few are the last miners' shacks that were brought here from extension. And they haven't been included in the heritage and, inventory. And so there are these great gaps. We got a grant, early neighborhoods, because initially people again were telling me, oh yeah, there were ethnic neighborhoods. And in actual fact, no firm boundaries, such as how we identify native neighborhoods today, but clusters or groups of people. Sometimes it was people who'd be neighbors, they were miners, they had lived in Extension or in Wellington, and so they came here. The Finnish tended to have borders and relatives coming over. Chinese, well, we've discovered that in actual fact there was a little tiny part of town that people here in the 20s and 30s referred to as Chinatown. Mm. In actual fact, it was a laundry and a grocery and a bakery with two large bunkhouses nearby. So that has just opened up this whole area where we're, we need to get down and pick up the remnants of that first-hand knowledge because it's relevant for the new heritage plan. Yeah, we're seeing more and more of an integration of what the Historical Society does and how it manages the museum and the archives in relation to the sort of the business center of the town, a lot of the attraction of which is the heritage character. Yes. If you drive up within the town site, you will see it. Yeah. And there are examples of, for want of a better term, those well-off merchants, the larger homes, the Edwardian homes-style homes. There are a couple of real vernacular farmhouses because there were a few large orchards and dairy farms within what is now Ladysmith today and it's all there mm. and people are coming in and deciding oh this is fun let's update it and they flip it. I've been keeping track of 
those that are disappearing, and there's still remnants, so it would be really fun. We could do an amazing initiative in the community, um, identifying the documentation. The archives has a detailed building file telling who owned what going back in time. I mean, we instigated the Heritage Awards Yes, uh, a couple important. of years ago, and I've been giving that out during Heritage Week in February, uh, recognizing people or organizations which have done something of note and importance with regards to the heritage of the community. What are some recommended strategies for, for building those bridges with the community? Whenever there are events on the street here in town, we have a presence of one, one sort or another. More recently, it's been both the archives, the industrial heritage, and the museum, and we will have had a selection of objects up there, a simple guessing game, or there'd be f photographs. What can you tell us about these photographs? Heritage treasure trail during, and like it was you. like a walking around this, town and solving riddles. It like, was a fantastic, cute was the, the successful lyric, <laughs> lyricist of uh, these clues. And we had, this was in the midst of COVID, our online uptake was 5,000 5, something going up. The people that actually did it, and it wasn't the greatest weather, was almost 200. The simple strategy is what catches people's attention. We've discovered that families here still like to do things together and they come to those events. They love it in the depths of rainy February. We had that activity, they took them through town. So that is one simple strategy. The idea is to raise the profile of the museum and get people used to dropping in and having a look. Yeah, we have groups in the community we regularly support. One is the Legion. So for Remembrance Week in November, we always have some sort of a display here. Sometimes we're asked to participate in the, the lunch in which they honor those who have passed in the last year. Those wars were devastating in this community, and there are members in this community that were in Afghanistan, the Bosnian War, peacekeeping forces, understanding that's a continuum. And we've received uh, a few artifacts that are, are really important. It's a continual effort and a continual open dialogue and planting ideas and oh, just yeah. developing a relationship yeah. rather than working in parallel but crossing and, and trying to work together. And when we hear something in town, for example, when there's an open house at the train station. The society is helping to bring the, working with the Island Corridor Foundation because the railway station has been empty for 10 years or so, yeah. since the train ceased. And the idea was to paint over the graffiti and bring the building back to a state where it can be shown to potential users, yeah. non-profit users in town. And so the society did that work and has held a number of open houses at the, uh, the train station to showcase the two potential users to develop, uh, you know, we need to get the business plan together, maybe we can get a couple of nonprofits working together, come up with a plan, renovate the building, or, or restore, as much as much restore rather than rehabilitate as, as much as possible and bring that back to being a community asset rather than an empty shell. Yeah, know? we actually are working with people in the community and putting in the historical context 
and I will bring up what we have in the collection whenever possible to help articulate. Just by happenstance, I got a call out of the blue from a fellow who had an original piece of rail, which was um, cast in England and brought over to Vancouver Island in 1884 for the construction of the ENN Railway. It happens actually that the, the very first load of rail and fish plates yeah. was here, mm. and the harbor here, and uh, the first rail laid for the ENN was here. It w the town wasn't here at that point. It was just a viable harbor that Dunsmuir was able to use because the harbors in Nanaimo and Chimanus and wherever were already being used from an industrial perspective. And so all that, the ENN stuff was landed here, and the construction of the ENN railway actually started right here. We suspect that the successful use of that harbor, which was Oyster Bay or Oyster Harbor at that point, led Dunsmuir later on to decide to build the coal wharves Mm -hmm. as a result of which uh, the town came to be. What are some aims that you have for the future? And, and what are some challenges that are, are getting in the way of achieving those goals? The biggest challenge is funds. Without question. And the second biggest challenge is people capability, yeah. uh, volunteers. In fact, I think that uh, the paradigm is going to have to change mm -hmm. with regards to expectation of significant volunteer input. You're it's not likely to get something for nothing much longer, I think, given the way society is changing. Families, both spouses work, whereas before they didn't. Very immediately, um, we were very pleased to get infrastructure grant to have the roof of an addition repaired and drainage put in, and it was around where the main collection storage area was. We've been bursting at seams in terms of a, storing the collections, being able to do research and process and care for them, and then to make them accessible for use in exhibits and programs. So we are purchasing mobile collection storage. In the short term, it's a lot of work, and somewhat chaotic, but on the longer term, it will enable access for better use of the collection. And we have things that are hands-on, teaching collection and then the permanent collection, but that others can borrow. We can work with other museums and archives. That's something that has faltered a wee bit, and that's part of an, a, another initiative that this society got going, which is uh, the One Community Heritage Network. Our collective knowledge is there. We don't always have to have money to go and hire a specialist. We can share the most basic care of collection things. But also um, that network where we've set up a website, we're working on an interactive map of heritage assets within the region and the idea being that there's a forum where all these community museums or discovery centers or whatever can communicate and can basically promote each other, promote specific things, promote the heritage aspect or the, the tourism aspect of heritage within the region and show the breadth and cultural variation in the area and celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Leslie, Quentin, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me and, and have a conversation today, and, and all the best for the future and, and the developments of, of the Ladysmith Museum. Thank you for your questions. Thank you. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, 
please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.